0: if you have your bibles open them up to matthew chapter 5. matthew 5 is going to be our primary text specifically verse 9. if this is your first sunday with us or first sunday back in a while we've been in a series of messages through the beatitudes and what we're calling them actually is kingdom values because in this list of beatitudes what we have are actually values that God gives us to live by. And what are values? Values are a core set of beliefs that you have that help you make decisions, that help you live. And we're gonna make a transition here in a couple of weeks of going from values to living. We're gonna go from kingdom values to kingdom living and continue on through the, gospel or through the um, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so here's a couple of reminders before we dig into our text this morning. Uh, uh, the first reminder is this, is that every value is for every follower of Christ. There's, there's not one value you can leave out. You can't choose to be poor in spirit and then say not hunger and thirst after righteousness. Uh, you can't choose to be pure in heart and, and then not seek to be a person of, of mercy. See, all of these values are, are together and, and God expects for every follower of Christ to carry out these values. Uh, we're not dismissed from having to live them out. The second thing is, is that every value mentioned or the kingdom values are progressive in nature right? They're leading us somewhere. And, and, and I have really good news and I have really bad news. Where they're leading us is persecution. That's, that's what they lead to. Well, we're going to dig that apart next week and, and figure out the fact that, that when we're poor in spirit, that when we mourn over our sin, that when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, that when we seek mercy and, and being pure in heart, what that is really doing us, putting us in a position to be persecuted. The Bible declares... Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And living these kingdom values out, remember that word blessed. We have that mindset sometimes that blessed means to be happy. It's not to be happy. It means that that we're in a good position. We're in a good position to glorify God. We're in a good position to earn a right to share the gospel with other folks. And so today, today's value, pretty simple. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Let me pray for our time in God's word. Father, thank you once again for your word. May your spirit grab us. God, may we understand exactly what you're calling us to do today. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Peace. Peace is that answer that's often given. Not anymore, but if you remember right, they would would have beauty pageants and and they would put a microphone in front of one of the women and say, "What's, what's your ultimate goal in life? I just want peace in the world. And so many people have this mindset like that peace is that ultimate carrot that's out there at the end of the stick that we keep chasing. Peace is something we dream about, something we long for, something we hope to have. Like, like many of you, April and I really have enjoyed watching uh, America's Got Talent. I mean, say we watch it for different reasons right uh i, I kind of like those shows that or the the acts that you watch the the, the act and, and you really don't want to watch it but you can't turn your eyes away from it do you remember the guys there were they were indian guys or sikh guys they had the the towels they put around their heads and then they were swinging swords at each other's heads and sledgehammers and everything else it was glorious those are the kind of things that i like uh, sorry, watching that show uh, you might remember the young man, Cody. He was truly amazing. He, he had a, his, The human mind's a fascinating thing. If you remember, he came out on stage and he couldn't hardly speak at all. He was that autistic. And then, and then when music started playing, he could not only sing, but he sung well enough to win the entire show. But that same season, there was another guy. I pulled the video up this week to watch it again because it struck me so strongly. Uh, there was another guy. He walked out on the stage in these skinny jeans. And, and so there are very few people in the world that should wear skinny jeans. Uh, this guy's not one of them. Uh, so, and he had the, the big, long beard, right? And he had that Sweden accent. He said, where are you from? You know, I'm from Sweden. And so, but then he started playing his guitar, and he started strumming it, right? It's this beautiful melody coming out of that guitar. And, and then he sang these words. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries, it isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Imagine no possessions, I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. You see, there's something in that song, especially when a guy can really sing it well, that that makes people tear up. As a matter of fact, uh, they were panning the audience and people were wiping their tears. And one of the judges had those fake tears as she stood up and clapping her hands. And it's just, I mean, a beautiful moment, right? But there's no truth in it. There's no truth in what was sung. I mean, sure, we want peace, but where does peace come from and how do we get it? And if we if we put these ideas out there and live as though that these things are true and and they sound great and altruistic, right? Just imagine if we could all live as one. We, we can't. We can't. Take a look around. The peace that we celebrate today is gone tomorrow. One de- writer declared this Washington has a lot of peace monuments. They build one after each war. Another writer wrote these words, that times of peace are just that glorious moment that everyone stops to reload. And it's truth. Just turn on your news right now. The world is waiting for another war to break out. And we don't have to turn on news to understand that. Many of us, all we have to do is look within our own hearts and our own souls and our own homes. Right? Right? Marriages struggling to hold on, family relationships that are broken, mental and emotional issues like never before, school shootings and the constant threat of them happening. It seems as though, and we, we know this to be true right now, that we're one decision away from one madman, either across the country or one madman in our own country, starting World War III. Peace. Can we have it? Is it possible for us? Why is there no peace in the world? Two primary reasons. The two primary reasons are this. The opposition of Satan and the sin of man. So Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, declares that one who will be a peacemaker is one who will be in a good position to glorify God. And so when I hear things like that and I read things like that, I start asking questions of the Bible and and, and trying to get an understanding for myself. And so these are some of those questions. What is peace? What keeps us from peace, and how does one become a peacemaker, and what's the reward for a peacemaker? Uh, This morning, I'm going to attempt to answer those questions for us. First, the meaning of peace. Many define peace as the absence of conflict. And that sounds good, right? It's just, if we don't have any conflict, we're at peace. Here's the problem. Do we think that Jesus intended for us to live lives that are free from conflict? And some people, yes, he did. He intended for us to live that way. And there are many who live that way. We're fearful of causing discord in the home. We're fearful of causing discord in the workplace. We're fearful of causing discord in our our country. And so what we do in order to keep the peace is that we stay silent, good little boys and good little girls not pushing what god's word calls for us to do see peace the meaning of peace is not the absence of conflict just open up your bibles in matthew chapter 5 verses 38 through 42 we'll dig them apart in this series of sermons next but but we know that jesus is not saying it's the absence of conflict he says if uh, you know an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth man that doesn't sound like peace does it He also says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. That sounds like, you know, just avoiding conflict. If anyone would sue you to take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone would force you to go one mile, go with him too. Understand this, that Jesus is not talking about the absence of conflict here. What Jesus is actually talking about here is suffering for righteousness' sake. It's all tied together. When we live out these values, persecution comes into our lives. And as a matter of fact, you don't even really have to do that. Just look at the life of Jesus himself. Did he avoid conflict at all costs? No. Jesus was the very one who walked into an establishment of religion and started flipping tables over because people were turning the worship of God into a money-making adventure. Jesus didn't avoid conflict. Jesus was the one himself. I I love this thought, right? Uh, Imagine all these religious leaders in their garb walking up to you, right? And, And then you know what Jesus did to them? Hey, you guys are a brood of vipers. You're hypocrites. You're whitewashed tombs. When people listen to you, you make them twice the son of hell as anyone else. Does that sound like a person who is trying to avoid conflict at all costs for the sake of peace? No, he was not that. And friends, I don't believe that God calls for us in the church today to live with this mindset that says peace is avoiding conflict. Because when we live our faith out, bad things happen. They do on this earth. Don't take my word for it. Jesus declared, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace to the earth, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And we laugh at that last one thinking that's not very hard. (laughs) Think about it. So when Jesus thought about peace, what did he have in mind? Pastor and author John MacArthur wrote these words about this text. As God sees it, peace is far more than the absence of something. Man, I think we've really got to grasp these words, church. It's not the absence of conflict. He goes on. It is the presence of righteousness. Doesn't that make much more sense when we think about what Jesus declared? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled that causes right relationships. Peace is not just stopping war. Peace is creating righteousness that brings enemies together in love. And when we put that together with the rest of the kingdom values that we've been digging through as a body of believers, what did he say? Remember, we're poor in spirit because of our sin. It's because of our sin that we're poor in spirit. And because of that sin, we mourn over that sin. And that mourning leads us to a point where we repent. And we know what the Bible says, that godly repentance produces in us a salvation and leaves us with no regret. We know what God's word says there. We have an understanding that our gift of life, our power to overcome sin is only from Christ. And so we live within the meekness of that understanding, understanding that we have to rely upon God for everything. This will cause us to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And this righteousness will lead us to a place and to a point where we're people of mercy. Now, think about it. After all, right? When we run our lives through the sift of grace, we understand what God has forgiven each and every single one of us of. And we come into contact with other people who are sinners. How do we live? With mercy. And from that place of mercy, what we also understand is that we seek a purity of heart, realizing that we're never going to get there. But we always chase that purity of heart because we know that's what will ultimately lead us to see God. And from that standpoint, man, he goes on to be a peacemaker, to be one who seeks to give peace. So we started in brokenness, we restored in grace, we seek righteousness, and we seek to lead others to that same place of righteousness. It's important for us to understand uh, that one, that the message or uh, the maker of peace, to understand who the maker of peace is. There was a couple who were standing in a divorce court with their young son in the same room. And they were standing up arguing over the results of the divorce. And the son was heartbroken. And so he, he does something extraordinary. He walks over and he grabs the hand of his mom and he grabs the hand of his dad. And he just begins to pull them together. And they ultimately grab hands. And Isn't that what Jesus did for us? He, he took the hand of a sinner that was separated away from God. And he took the hand of God. And he pulled them together on the cross. He's the ultimate maker of peace. And the Bible is bookended with this peace. It opens up with the peace in the Garden of Eden, and it ends with the peace at the heavenly throne of God. And Adam and Eve, they were created at peace with God. Now, think about this moment. The Bible tells us that they walked with God. They had open fellowship with God. They had perfect peace with one another uh, and a perfect relationship with the rest of creation. So remember, what did I say earlier? Where does the lack of peace come from? The opposition of Satan and the sin of man? Satan shows up in the garden. Do you remember his question? Did God really say, You may not even eat of any fruit. No, no, God didn't say that. He said that that we can't eat of the fruit or, or, or touch it. And when Eve said those words, touch it, Satan knew he had her. He knew he had her right there because God didn't say you weren't supposed to touch it. Just not eat it. And then Satan got in into Eve's head, and he got Eve to begin to question God's word. Well, God didn't actually say that. Then he got Eve to question God's judgment. You'll not surely die. And then he got Eve to question God's goodness. God knows that when you eat of it, you'll be like him, knowing good from evil. And so what happened? Eve grabbed the fruit, and she ate, and she gave some of it to her poor, unsuspecting husband. Now Adam, listen, maybe this is part chauvinism coming out of me right now, and I'll I'll rightly admit that. Adam had the greater responsibility here. Adam didn't protect his wife. He willingly gave in. Peace was robbed from humanity at that moment. We were separated from God from that point on. And and right after the fall of humanity, you know what happened? There's a promise. God makes a glorious promise to restore peace. It's found right away. Actually, you can, you can start to dig this thread all the way through Scripture. And this thread is this promise of Jesus, who is the peacemaker. It starts in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. From that time on, the Old Testament is the working out uh, of God bringing the one who would crush Satan's head. The promise would be made to Abraham. God would be faithful to the people of Israel, no matter what they did to fulfill his promise. At the beginning of Matthew's gospel, he tells us uh, this message that the angel spoke to Joseph. Joseph, son of David... Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise made by God. Jesus is the fulfillment of the one who would crush Satan's head. Jesus is the fulfillment of Genesis chapter 3, 12 verses 1 through 3, who would be the seed of Abraham that would be the blessing to all people. Jesus is the fulfillment of 2 Samuel chapter 7, when God spoke to David through the prophet and said, I'm going to build a house for you that will last forever. Jesus is the fulfillment uh, of giving the spirit that we get in Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 31 through 34, where God would place upon the hearts of all men the law of God. He's the fulfillment of that peace. So Jesus, God in flesh, he came to the earth to live a life that we could never live. To die a death that every single one of us deserves to die. To be put in a borrowed tomb but resurrected from that tomb giving us eternal life and ascending into heaven with that promise that one day he's going to come back to take us to be where he is at, to be at peace with God. Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, rather thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. if peace is the presence of righteousness and we know our sin is what separates us from God, then we also have to understand that Jesus is that ultimate peacemaker, not by avoiding conflict, but by running headlong into conflict for us, the conflict on the cross. I love 2 Corinthians. Is it 1 Corinthians 5 or 2 Corinthians 5, 21? It's going to be up here on, on the screen. For our sake, for us, he made him who knew no sin perfectly righteous to become sin for us so that in him we might become or be the righteousness of God He's the ultimate maker of peace So however those who have been called upon who have called upon Jesus of Lord as Lord we've been left here we have been left here with a purpose to be messengers of peace that's what Jesus declared, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall see, be, be called sons of God. So one thing has to take place, before we can be a peacemaker, we have to be at peace with God and we have to be there. I would imagine that many people have been on an airplane. Um, so my first flight on an airplane was, I was 17 years old. I was leaving for army basic training on July the 18th of 1990. Uh, so I just got dropped off at the Columbus airport and and, and I get on this airplane and it's scared to death, right? Just a, just a Columbus City kid. No money to ever go anywhere on vacation. I'd never really hardly even been out of the state. Uh, and so I'm get on this plane. And, and as soon as the flight attendant came up into the middle, right, and they gave this safety briefing, I was locked on to every word. I'm following along in this little pamphlet that's in front of me, and I'm looking back and forth at, at them. And they even mentioned the, the life raft under the seat, and I felt underneath the seat to find this life raft. And, and listen, I was flying from Columbus to Indiana. I don't know of anybody's bodies of water that that life raft was going to work with, <laughs> but I wanted to know where it was at. So and, and something else I did in that, in that flight is uh, I paid attention to the flight attendants the whole time because I figured this, okay, once they get scared, I'm getting scared. <laughs> so they were, they were calm the whole time. But do you remember the whole thing, the whole spiel about the the oxygen mask? And I mean, if things get horrible and we're all about to die, they don't say that, but that's how I hear it. So the oxygen mask is gonna drop down and, and you need to grab that oxygen mask and do what with it? Put it on yourself before you help anyone else. You can't help anyone else if you're dead. We can't be a peacemaker if we're not at peace with God. And so in order to be a peacemaker, that's where it starts. And so here's the question. How did you enter the room this morning? Are you at peace? Are you at peace in your life, in your marriage, and your relationship with others? Perhaps you walked into the room this morning, you walked in the room tired. Right? You're tired of the fight. Tired of the fight of trying to hold everything together. Tired of the fight of trying to pay bills. Tired of the fight of being the one that lets Conflict happens so that you try to keep peace. You know why we lose most of the battles we lose? Because we get tired. We're just ready to give up. That's why God's word is so powerful. I read the verses last week. Jesus declared, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The reason, friends, here's the reason, the reason we are at war with God, I don't wanna wanna sugarcoat this, is maybe you're not in Christ. Maybe you haven't grabbed the oxygen mask yet. And you, you've tried to work things out on your own. You're trying to do everything possibly you can do. Uh, I'll do this to, to get right with God, or I'll do that, or I'll make this promise with God. And, and then it just keeps coming back to that same old well that's dry or that, that treadmill that never gets you anywhere. And you just say, you know, I'm just, I am just give up. I'm not trying anymore. Friends, if you're there, today's a the day that you need to make a decision to be at peace with God. The Bible tells us that that God loved us enough to send his only son to die for us, to be in right relationship with him. And before you take the next step, you need to have that right relationship with God through Christ. Do you understand that your sin has separated you from a holy God? Are you willing to repent today and to confess Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life? Are you willing to submit yourself to Christian baptism? Are you willing to allow God's spirit to flow in and through you to help you live out those battles and those things that you're currently tired from right now? You you can't help others find peace until you have peace. In in Romans chapter 4, Paul used Abraham as a picture of faith, not to make us concentrate on Abraham, but to get our focus on Christ. Paul has made the argument through the letter that he wrote to the church in Rome uh, that that he says Abraham was credited righteousness from God. See, what does that mean? That Abraham in and of himself wasn't righteous. That God had to credit him with righteousness, put it on his account. I love what Romans 4 says, but the words, it was counted to him or credited, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord. So are you at war with God today? The good news is is that you can leave here at peace. You can. I love the very next words of Paul. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. If you walked into the room this morning and you've not, listen, when I say stealing your sin, I'm not saying you haven't sinned this week because every single one of us that wear this stuff, we're still struggling with the same things. We just keep giving it to God, right? The Bible makes these glorious promises, but if you walked in here and you've not had that initial peace, please don't let today pass before you make that decision to declare Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. Listen, I could really stop right there. That's the most important thing. Some of you are like, okay, please do. (laughs) I can't. It's in my contract. (laughs) (laughs) So we go from peace with God and we, we seek peace with others. Paul declared, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Peace with others will mean that there are times, and here's what's important, you've really got to grasp this fact, Uh, so you might, you you won't need to take notes here, kind of that old Bob Newhart video, remember, the Saturday Night Live, and the woman wants to take notes, it's really, it's just, you know, two words, he says, just stop it, you know, but you might not need to take a note, if you really want peace, sometimes you have to admit you're wrong, you have to. Matthew chapter 5, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there and at, before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. It's amazing to me how often we fail to see that our relationship with others impacts our relationship with God. We fail to see that so often, right? We think we can keep this relationship up here with God and that everything's going to be okay, and then we can hate our brothers and sisters. You can't do it. It's not possible. God doesn't honor worship that doesn't seek to reconcile with humanity, right? And when you think about it, it's sad. We find so many things to divide over. And as going back to that Bob Newhart video, stop it. Stop. Admit you're wrong. Peace with others will mean that you have to forgive someone who has wronged you. The Bible declares let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another. What's it say? As God forgave you. Man, I'm not saying forgiveness is easy, it's not. There's nothing easy about forgiveness. Here's what I am saying, forgiveness is commanded. You don't have an option. There's no plan B for this. Jesus himself, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Man, that's a hard truth to swallow. I I remember what it was like to start going to church. Sitting right over about here in this very building. Start hearing people talk about things like this. Darren was the preacher here at that moment. And Darren, he would, he would talk about these things. And, and I'm sitting there listening to Darren. And he, 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 he might have even preached something similar to this message. Because I remember seated right here thinking, all right, brother, you're telling me I have to do this. You have no idea what I've been through. You have no idea the amount of pain that I've lived with. You have no idea how much my dad deserves the fires of hell, so don't tell me to forgive someone. Man, I've been there. I know what it's like to carry that around. I'm also here to tell you that the Bible says, the Bible says that if you're not willing to forgive, you won't be forgiven. And then I put that along with another principle that I learned from God's word. You know what that principle was? The one who does the forgiving is the one who does the bulk of the work. Right? Don't we know that to be true already? It's not like that we brought our sin to Jesus and said, All right, Jesus, here's my sin, but here's my great faith to you. No, Jesus is the one that did the bulk of the work, He died upon the cross for our sins. And we get into God's word and it says, listen, if you're going to follow me, you have to forgive. Peace with others will mean that we have to love those who have hurt us and that we will have to give forgiveness to those who have wronged us and even wronged us greatly. And I've learned one other thing. Do you know, do you know that when you forgive someone that way, you're the one that's freed from the prison? Not them. You are. You actually not only have peace with God there, you get this peace within yourself that gives you an ability to have peace with others. Uh, Not endorsing everything from Martin Luther King Jr., but he wrote these words. To our most bitter opponents, we say, we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We shall meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, and we shall continue to love you. We cannot in all good consciousness obey your laws, unjust laws, because non-corruption with evil, non-cooperation with evil is as much moral obligation as corruption with God, cooperation with God. Throw us in jail, and we shall still love you. Bomb our homes and threaten our children, and we shall still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our community at midnight, and beat us, and leave us half dead, and we shall still love you. But be assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. One day we shall win freedom, but not only for ourselves. We shall so appeal to your heart and conscience that we shall win you in the process, and our victory will be a double victory. Why? What does the Bible say? Love God, love people. After seeking our own peace with God and seeking peace with others, we need one more thing. We need to lead others to peace with God. This is the ultimate purpose that we've been left here as a body of Christ. And as we look around our world today, it's clear that we're running further and further away from God. Why? Do you remember the two reasons at the beginning? Satan and sin. We're running further and further away from him. And Satan's work has not changed. It has remained the same from the very beginning of time. Question God's word. And once we begin to question God's word, here's what he does. He slips in and then he begins to divide the family unit. And as the family unit's divided, we start hating one another, bickering, separating, doing all of these things. Before you think anything, I know I've been there, I've done it myself. And then after we divide, in our homes. You know what happens after that? He gets us to divide within our bodies of Christ, the church. And in the church, we start dividing over silly things, man. We start dividing over what we're going to sing. We start dividing over the kind of clothes the preacher wears. We start dividing over if we sit in chairs or pews. We start dividing over how long the church service is. We start dividing over all of these things that when we stand before God, right? When we stand before God, we're not going to be able to say, well, God, I didn't like what they sung, or I didn't like how the preacher talked, or I didn't like, what the preacher wore and what about me god's going to say so then he divides the church and and once the the home loses its power and the church loses its power what else happens the community loses its power and in the community we start arguing over silly stuff We get on our facebook pages and we start complaining uh, when a new restaurant comes in well we don't need another fast food place or we don't need this or or who needs to do this and all of this stuff we're dividing over and then when we divide in our communities we divide in our nation man look at our world look at us right now to vaccine or not to vaccine to mask or not to mask right well that's there and here's the mistake that we in the church have made Listen, this is not going to be comfortable. It's not. Before I say the next words I'm about to say, I'm going to hold both hands up and say I'm guilty. I'm guilty. In the church, what we have done is we've placed our hope in political parties. And we believe if we can just get the right political party in power, then everything will be okay. And I don't care if you're for the elephant or the donkey. I don't care. If we can just get our political party in place and everything will be right with the world. And so then the election cycle comes around and what happens, we're we're coming off the failed promises of the donkey or the elephant, depending upon which your opposition party is. And and then we get fired up and we listen to the promises from our political opponent that represents the elephant or the donkey or proponent that elephant represents them. And, And then we cast our vote for our political party. And you know what happens? Their promises don't come true either. They don't. And as a nation, we spent so much time as Christians, as followers of Christ, investing so much time, believing that if we can just get the elephant or the donkey in office, then all will be well with the world. Think about that for a moment. It's useless. We've seen it. And instead of spending so much time in the church, listen, I'm not saying not to vote because I vote every time I can. I have strong convictions about what should be taking place with politics very strong convictions. I believe as a follower of Christ, we have a moral obligation to walk into a ballot box every time we get the chance to, to speak our voice. That's part of being salt and light. But once we cast that vote, rather for the uh, donkey or the elephant, once we cast that vote, we don't trust the donkey or the elephant because we follow a lamb. The lamb of Christ who's come to take away the sins of the world. We spend more time defending our political opinions than we do sharing the gospel message of Christ. We've got, we've got to get back to this understanding. So church, the hope of the world is not found in a clean environment. It's not found in health care for all. It's not found in vaccine mandates. It's not found in the absence of war on the, on the border of Russia and Ukraine. It's not found in those places. Peace is found with Christ. And it's time we in the church understand that. I love what Paul says. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith and for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Do we believe? Do we believe the truth of that message? Do we believe it? Do we really believe it? I wonder sometimes if we do. Because if we did, we'd give everything for it. The world is searching. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone what? Preaching. Think about that the next time we decide to separate over what songs we sing in church. Over what the preacher wears in the pulpit. Over everything else. Preaching. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Listen, friends, you guys have hired me to do that. But did you know that every single one of you are preachers of God's word? Every single one of you have this opportunity starting right now, right now to do this very thing. To take this message of peace out into the world and to stop. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of funny, I, I realized a few years ago, you might see me wearing around an Ohio State shirt every now and then, you, you, unfortunately you'll see me wearing around a Cleveland Browns shirt every now and then, it's sad. I'm, I'm an angry Browns fan today. I'm gonna go home and pout as some other team in Ohio plays in the Super Bowl. But you know, I've realized I, I, I don't buy anything that represents any other brand. What if we as Christians were to stop representing the other brands and realize that it's our goal and our role to lift Christ up in this world so that he'll draw all men to himself? And that's where true peace comes from. So last point, and you're thinking, oh man, last point, it's it's a really short point because it points to next week. It really does point to next week. What's the merit of peace? And the good news is this, the merit of peace is that you'll have power to walk through persecution you will all of these things that Jesus has declared he's leading up to this culmination point in these values it says when you live these things out when you live them out you're going to be persecuted so we'll speak more about this next week as a child of God we know that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. We know that we're heirs with Christ. We know that on the last day he's going to raise us up. We know because his word promises us that. Just let me ask you one more question before we pray and leave today. Do you know that? Do you have that peace? Will you make that decision today if not? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. We praise you for the gift of your word and the opportunity that we've had today to be here. We praise you, Lord, for the truth of your word and the glorious chance that we get to run out of this building and live it. God, we pray for encounters that each of us are going to have. We pray for moments that we can point people to Christ, that we can lead people to the only place that true peace is found. And Lord, if there's a soul in the room this morning that's yet to find that peace, With you, through Jesus Christ, may today be the day they cross over from death to life. We pray these things in your Son's most holy name. Amen.